lucky to have everyone sharing their gifts. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for the beginning of this sermon, and I promise I have nothing unexpected or explosive planned. I promise. I won't make you do anything. I simply want you to listen to a story without your eyesight. I want you to imagine spending your whole life blind and by a freak accident, suddenly able to see. So Pierre Paul Thomas had exactly this experience. He was born with dancing eyes. His eyes moved side to side involuntarily because of damaged eyes optic nerves. He had cataracts on top of that. And he described his world as blurry, a shadowy black and white screen. Instead, he saw and remembered with his hands and his ears. When he grew older, he repaired bikes. For his first full-time job, He needed dough in a bakery. So with your eyes still closed, I want you to imagine only having a vague sense of the light coming through our row of lovely windows. You cannot see all the textures and colors of the sanctuary or navigate down our steps, watch the projected images, or delight in the face of your neighbor. With your eyes closed, perhaps you're more aware now of the sensation of the carpeted floor, or the texture of your chair, or the temperature of the room, or the breathing of your neighbor. Just a little bit longer with your eyes closed. Unexpectedly, At the age of 68, Pierre-Paul Thomas fell down the stairs in his apartment in Montreal. What, What a horror, fraught with extraordinary problems at his age and his blindness. He broke bones in his face, including those around his eyes. And in setting those bones, the ophthalmologist and plastic surgeon at the hospital realized they could restore his sight. They did, and he could see fully for the first time in his life, in the seventh decade of his life. So now open your eyes. And imagine you're seeing for the first time in your life. Look around. Notice what you might normally take for granted here in this space. Mr. Thomas said he felt like a child all over again. I find everything beautiful, he said. Faces, 
skin. I find it all beautiful. His shadowy gray world recedes to reveal colors he had never seen. Red, yellow, dark green is no longer dull black. Snowbanks, once bland, are now luminous white. He sees his sister Giselle for the first time. He witnesses flowers and trees blooming, and he discovers something no one had ever pointed out to him before. Tree buds. Simple tree buds. Imagine that. His new ability is not all glorious. No matter how extraordinary, all change involves difficulty and adjustments. The first time he stepped out onto his sixth floor balcony, the drop down gave him vertigo and he sat down immediately. And the idea of remembering things visually is hard. He still resorts to touching and feeling the world around him in order to store the memories. Colors still confuse him. In an interview you actually can watch on YouTube, he struggles for words to describe this radical change in his life. He says, the true colors, they don't seem like the true colors in question. An emotional equivalent I had of falling down the stairs and coming to a new sight, to a new insight, came when my mother died. Death and loss are not uncommon triggers for opening our hearts, showing us the world in a completely different light. She was not the first family member to die. My father and grandparents had all died. Yet I was young, 23, and not prepared for this finality of losing my mother. And I can clearly summon the room and physical sensations of the moment that I understood her death was the way of the world. I was sitting at her old-fashioned secretary desk and staring into a row of little letter cubbies, And I felt let into an eternal secret. I could have felt lonely or frightened or angry. But the epiphany at that moment was calming and empowering. Pieces of a puzzle I didn't know even existed fell into place, making a mechanism whole. It was as if Someone had finally pointed out the tree buds, the simple tree buds. Death is as natural to the cycle of life. My experience of this sort, this unforgettable aha moment, is far from unique. I'm sure each of you can tell many rich stories of coming to understand life in a new way, to see your surroundings 
or another person or a situation or a relationship in a completely new fashion. I believe we come to church to fall down the stairs, to have our eye sockets broken open and vision altered. Look around at your fellow ophthalmologists and plastic surgeons who will assist you in seeing what you could not see before. This assistance is the essential service we provide for each other. The sanctuary is a great operating room where just the right piece of music, poem, turn of phrase, brief moment of silence, or conversation can bring new vision and color to your world. What we experience here at church may not be seeing for the first time, but an effort to recapture something that you've lost, a vision, an insight that's receded into the blurry, indistinct busyness of our lives. Like the young girl in Annie Dillard's book, you may come each Sunday seeking to rediscover your tree with lights in it. I find I have amnesia about many things I value. I need constant reminding A tree with light exists, and the world is colorful. I need to be told over and over and over to listen fully and not simply wait to jump in with my story or my idea. I need to be reminded how the actions of others arise from their desire to be happy and from their life experiences no matter how off-putting or wrong-headed they seem to me. I need to be reminded all this because my ego, that chatty little committee that resides in my head, is so busy looking out for itself. It likes to blur the world. It can render my life colorless. My brain team has me squinting so I don't see myself or others as clearly. I get distracted thinking what matters most are my feelings and my needs and my perceptions. Oh, you aren't convinced, I can tell. (laughs) Okay. I come to church to be reminded I am not alone and I am part of an interdependent web of life. No matter what other crazy slogan that cranial committee spits out, I come to church to be reminded about the tree with the lights in it. I come to be reminded of the whole colorful cycle of life. Birth, children, love, marriage, disillusionment, celebration, remembering, loss, gain, death, and birth again. I I heard a story about the birth of Hope Church. And I checked whether it was true with some longtime members. They say it may not have happened exactly like I heard, but the spirit of it is certainly true. The first minister here at Hope was a church builder, the Reverend Bill Gold. 
I wish I had met him. He was intelligent, passionate, impish. Everyone uses that word, impish. Charismatic and bubbling with ideas. And more than one person has said he oversaw the building of this church with such great detail that every rock was literally put into place with Bill Gold's approval. And I think of that often because my desk faces the fireplace in my office. And the stonework has just the right rock shelves for plants and candles and icons and to tuck away some matches so no one can quite reach them. It is a silent masterpiece of Bill Gold's vision. The story I recently heard about Bill goes that he would stand outside to welcome people, shake their hands, and invite them in. He would often ask if the person believed in God, and if they hesitated too long or said yes, they did, he would say, well, you're welcome to stay through the coffee hour, but you need not come back. As a legend, it speaks to what Bill and the church envisioned for this place, a sanctuary against all the money-grubbing televangelism and the gaudy, wacky theology of its day. It was easier and more direct to clearly state what Hope Church was against in the 1970s and 1980s. It is a noble tradition in religion to delineate things by what they are not. Has a name. Apophatic theology means defining by negation. It carves away the unnecessary to reveal the good and the perfection. In Latin, apophatic theology is called via negativa, the negative way. Bill Gold was extending the negative way to newcomers. He was building what hope was not. And our religious tradition has thrived and grown over the centuries by making bold, apophatic declarations. What the martyrs Michael Servetus and Catherine Vogel have in common with Francis David and John Biddle and Joseph Priestley and Thomas Jefferson William Ellery Channing, Margaret Fuller, Norbert Chopik, and many in this sanctuary today is a resounding rejection of the Trinity. Before the word Unitarian came into use, our forebears could only say what they were not, not followers of a Trinity of a three-headed, three-depicted God. What origin of Alexandria has in common with George de Benville and John Murray and Hosea Ballou, Olympia Brown, and others in this sanctuary today is a clear rejection of salvation being only for the elect few, 
these religious innovators also could only say what they were not, not believers that God condemned anyone to hell. Unitarianism and universalism both flourished as religious ideas in opposition to other theologies and current of their day culture. And our movement hasn't stopped there. We haven't stopped saying no. There is a via negativa assertion that the Bible is not the exclusive word of God. A single religious text or tradition cannot have all the answers. A single statement of belief, a creed, cannot contain our diversity and curiosity. Intellectual and scientific inquiry cannot be ignored in any area of life, especially religion. But this apophatic tradition has its limitations. Sometimes the world catches up with radical ideas, incorporating them into the mainstream culture. With less to push against, the angry certain no becomes a meeker, less compelling voice. The negative way could become a narrow way, concerned primarily with what it's against, not considering what it's in favor of. An apophatic stance says where it won't go, but not where it will go. So, of course, there's something that's the opposite, and that's called cataphatic theology. And that's defining things in the positive. It's an effort to remove limits on the limitless. Returning to our Unitarian and Universalist ancestors, the Unitarians embrace the ultimate force in the world without end, or God is one. The Universalists found divine in everyone, universally. Over time, humanists and atheists entered our midst, and they insisted on the necessary, unlimited scope of human investigation and imagination. We embrace the Bible as a valid document of human stories and struggles. At the same time, we embrace the oral and written tales from other cultures and times. We embrace scientific research and theories. Removing the notion of a confined canon of writing opens up a limitless source of inspiration and wisdom. And as our digital revolution continues to barrel ahead, all forms of media are unlimited resources for us. So since Bill Gold could so succinctly state Hope's theology in an apophatic, negative way back in the 1970s. Does this depiction remain true today? Is Hope primarily a place pushing against the mistakes of the dominant culture to define itself as distinct, set apart, and against? I hope so. A vital role of church is to critique systemic evils and faulty thinking. 
I wouldn't phrase an apophatic vision for hope like Bill Gold's in his narrow God or no God terms. The stance leaves no room for agnostics or anyone just beginning to step beyond a beloved religious tradition. It is, for me, too much either or to be hospitable or helpful or instructive. In essence, this via negativa negativa demands a creed of disbelief, which which goes directly against the foundation of our church structure and covenant. We don't force you to make a belief statement, even if it's a disbelief statement. But I am willing to stand out, shake newcomers' hands, and say, Welcome to Hope Church. We are glad you came. By the way, do you need a church that dictates what you believe? Oh, that is what you're looking for? Well, we're not that community. We'd love to have you stay for worship and at least have coffee and those cookies that Claudia offered. Come see what a congregation looks like made up of people who ask questions and read and discuss and come to very different and sincere conclusions about the big questions in life. If you're uncomfortable agreeing to be kind and generous to an atheist as well as a Christian or a Unitarian or Universalist or a Buddhist or Transcendentalist or Undecided, then there are many other churches in the area for you. I insist on drawing a much bigger circle of hospitality than the legendary Bill Gold that I'm conjuring up as a cataphatic vision for hope, as a positive vision for hope and its future, future, I see hope as a haven for all who question. We come to hope to fall down the stairs and to have our eye sockets broken open and our vision altered. In the process, some find the tree with lights as feeling connected to a larger one. For others, the tree with lights is the infinite power of the mind steered with the force of the heart. Or the tree with lights is service and justice. For still others, they simply need to hear the possibility of a tree with lights. All is not dark and lonely. This church must bring vision and color to the gray and blurry world. May it be so.